0: Hey guys and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. The first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host Nick Williams and this week's show is brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and become a better southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Books-A-Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. All right, guys, we're back and this week, first up, we've got William Davis with Davis Bait Company. David, how you doing today, sir?
1: Man, we're doing we're doing great. Appreciate you having us on the show.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a hot minute, so I figured we'd have you on. Uh did y'all enjoy that little cool snap that we got over the weekend?
1: Man, we did. It is actually starting to make the fish fire up and bite a lot better than what they were biting. So uh, that makes everybody happy when they're able to catch a fish.
0: That's it. That's it. Everybody's always excited about the spring bite and the fall bite. Well, tell me, uh, tell me how that's looking for you guys up there on the Coosa system.
1: You know, um, they've been drawing, drawing these lakes down. Uh, they started off on the lower end on Lake Jordan. It's been down for a couple of weeks, and then they. Started dropping Lake Mitchell, it's back full, and now they're dropping Lay Lake. So before they dropped the water um, last Saturday, there was a, a real good shallow water bite. And if you can put in down there now, you just have to be real, real, real careful with the water being down almost four feet. It's kind of congregated the the bass and the crappie um out in the main river. They're uh, on river ledges right now. We've been catching a, a lot of uh Spotted bass and a few largemouth and even some crawfish off the river ledges. We've been using uh, X Wire spinner baits and the Davis shaky fish with the X swim minnow. And we're actually catching some on a mega bass jerk bait uh, in a shad color. The bait is kind of congregated up on those stumps and that's kind of what they're hanging around, even the crappier. In that seven or eight foot water, the temperatures actually dropped down to the high 70s now. And uh, it come out of 90 degrees and it started dropping. So that, that really turns them on.
0: Oh, yeah. I know over the summer, we've, we've just had a scorcher of a summer. And I, I spent some time up around uh, Lake Martin and got it in my head that I was going to jump off the dock and go for a swim. And like you said, that 90 degree water, like you jump in it. And I swear it felt like the water was warmer than the air temperature. It was just just been a nasty, nasty summer.
1: And and with that being said, when that water temperature gets at, for the most part, the thermocline gets down there around 20, 25 foot, and a lot of people don't realize that's where most of your fish are located, but they're going to be where the most oxygen in the cooler water is, and uh, you can actually, if you learn how to read your electronics, you can actually find that thermocline. That's a big deal right there.
0: I've seen it a few times. I've noticed it down here where I'm at on Tensaw River. When it gets real hot in the summer, you'll you'll find deep pockets. If there's not much current in the river, you can see a little bit of a thermocline. Now, you, you were talking about fish holding down below the thermocline. It was my understanding that that thermocline line below it, and it kind of shows up on sonar. You know, it's just kind of a shaded area almost.
1: It is a shaded area almost. Some people think it's a line of bait, but you can tell the difference because the bait's kind of broken up in the thermocline. It'll be more of a solid type, grade um, in area on, on your unit.
0: It is, yeah. The first time I saw it, I was I was sitting there adjusting my unit, wondering if I was getting some sort of a problem with the reading because it's real regular. You know, like you said, bait will break up, and then you see just that line, and you're like, man, there's something wrong with my graph, like it's not not displaying correctly.
1: That's uh, that's where they live. They like to be comfortable, just like we do.
0: That that's it. I've I've uh, I kind of have a rule of thumb that that fish are about like nick williams nick williams likes to stay as close to to the 70s as he can and he'll move to be closer to that and that has been my experience the fish will too they, they just go towards wherever it's closest to about 72 75 degrees the closer they are to that temperature it seems to me the happier they are and the more willing they are to bite just in my limited experience so it's, it's good to you see no the water temperatures dropping back down into the 70s and i've noticed the fishing picking up a little bit here where i'm at so that's right it's interesting what you're telling me so are you catching you talk about catching crappie and spotted bass and largemouth bass, just all kind of schooling together on the bait?
1: They're schooling together. We've actually been catching a lot of drum and catfish mixed in with them, so it's strictly uh, it's strictly a bait-type deal for sure. And, you know, when that bait starts working out there, if you've got a forward-facing sonar unit, it it really makes it a lot easier easier to catch those fish out there and we've actually developed a bait called a scoper jig head that looks just like a minnow and we use x Swim slim minnow on the back of it and we just cast to those fish that we see on the forward facing imaging and that's kind of a new deal for me my son has been doing it for a long time but i've done a lot of vertical fishing over the years but this is something this is a new technique for sure
0: so did y'all do anything different when the bait, when the engineered it to make it show up better on forward-facing sonar? What about it makes it specifically a forward-facing sonar bait?
1: Well, it's just a bait that you can fish that it, it rides up and down in the water perfectly uh, level, just like a minnow would. It quivers like a minnow. And that's, I mean, that's what they're feeding on. When you find those bait fish balls with for that forward-facing sonar, you can actually pick the fish out. It really doesn't pick up any stronger than anybody else's jig that we know of. But we worked on it a long time to make sure it it was a fish catcher. And it's definitely a fish catcher. Because when you can catch crappie, bass, stripe, catfish, drum, when you catch all of them on that, because that that four-faced sonar, uh It does not tell you exactly what kind of fish are out there, so uh, you have to catch a few of them to see what they are. But when you got all the freshwater species that's biting this jig and trailer, then you know you know you got your winner for sure.
0: For sure, yeah, that's that's a good bait if if it will catch any fish that it swims in front of. I know down here for me for a long time it was a three inch curly tail jig. And, and you seem like to right. throw that in fresh water, salt water, anything. If there was a fish and he was hungry and it swam by, I've caught flathead cats off of it. I've caught redfish, everything. Like you said, drum, turtles. I mean, I catch more stumps than anything else.
1: Oh, that's what we do. That, <laughs> I always have to take a boatload of baits because... I'm, if there's a stump within a mile, I'm going to find it. That's for sure.
0: That's it, and then you know you got to save face. You know you just tell people when you get hung up. You say, well, you know, around here, if you if you're not getting hung up, you're not really fishing the good spots so
1: that's right you're not fishing in their house where they live if you're not getting hung up that's it man i fished
0: a couple weeks ago i fished a little place and it was a a little small river up in kind of central alabama over over on the west side of the state man talk about that type place and i was fishing with a guy who'd been fishing up there for 50 years and i I swear he knew where all the logs were and he was just letting me find them so if i go out there next time i'll i'll catch some fish because now i know where all the
1: logs are (laughs) <laughs> there you go. Hey, we call some of them tree pounders. Right. There we go. That's it.
0: I'll ask you this. So I always go back and forth as far as getting hung up. I know there's some people who rig different ways, you know, to, to make it easier to break a lure off or, you know, try to try to retrieve a lure. I've seen different tips. I know they sell different, different devices for, you know, trying to get down there and slide it down the line and bump a lure off the log. What's the best way you found to get a bait back once you hang it up?
1: You know the best way that we found. We always try before we attach a, a lure retriever of some sort. We always try to pop it loose, get straight over on top of it. Um, bend your rod, get you some slack in your line by pulling it with your with your right hand holding the rod in your left hand and popping that line. A lot of times it'll shoot backwards and they'll knock it off. But we make uh we make a small lure retriever that we just clip on the line a lot of times if we can't get it back then it'll nine out of ten times the lure retriever will get it back so expensive as the lures are in today's world uh, you really need to get you a lure retriever of some sort that's for sure i, I definitely need one
0: i have uh I've lost a lot of lures, and, and for a long time, it, it's, it kept me as a soft bait fisherman because I could afford to lose a couple more of them every trip. But uh, I've never carried one. I need to stick one in my tackle box, so I'll be sure to check out y'all's website and see what that's all about. If people want, want to check out your lure retriever and your new forward-facing sonar lure, where's a good place to look you up?
1: You can, uh, you can go to our website. It's just davisbait.com. We have most of our lures on the website, but there's quite a few lures. It won't let us put every lure we make, but you can also call us at 256- 249-2281 and uh, somebody would be glad to see what we do have if you don't see it online.
0: Well, there we go, folks. Y'all heard it. That's uh, Mr. William Davis. He's with Davis Bait Company. They're a local Alabama bait manufacturer based out of Sylacauga, Alabama. Davis, I really appreciate you being on the show this week and giving us the update on the Coosa River system, sir.
1: Absolutely. It It was my pleasure. Absolutely.
0: We all have a good rest of your day. You too. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. Since 1989, Southeastern Pond Management has been a leader in pond and lake management services. If you own a pond or lake anywhere in the southeast... Southeastern Pond Management can evaluate the health of your pond and then work with you individually to put together the right plan to get what you want out of your body of water. Through electrofishing, liming, fertilizing, and stocking and weed control, Southeastern Pond Management is the one-stop shop to help you produce more healthy, trophy fish than ever before. Schedule an obligation-free consultation today. Call one 888 830 pond or email info at southeastpond.com and brought to you by L&M Marine. LM Marine has something for everyone from small hunting boats to pontoon boats. To bigger bay boat and offshore hybrids. LM Marine LLC prides itself on its customer service and knows how important it is to be taken care of and to have someone you can trust. They are locally owned and regularly support the surrounding community. LM Marine provides superior customer service and has an entire team that consists of professional sales members, Finance experts, service technicians, and a knowledgeable parts and accessory staff to fully support you. Go visit their friendly, reliable, and experienced staff today. LM Marine is located six miles north of I 10 at 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama. You can also reach them by phone at 251 937 1380 all right guys we're back this time we're with ken beard and ken fishes is over on the chattahoochee river system on lake eufaula and lake west point ken how you doing today sir i'm doing good well good good glad to be here huh same as me
2: glad to be here yeah glad to share some information and talk about fishing
0: Yeah. hey that that that's it Every day's a good day especially when you get to talk about fishing for a little bit so how's a How's the fishing been treating you up there? How's this this cool weather, I know, has got fish moving around, doing different things. How's it been treating you so far this fall?
2: That's pretty normal for this time of year. September is totally different from October. You know, September, you'll have a lot of schooling action. Uh, The the bait's starting to move into the uh, pockets and into the creeks. And then by the last two weeks of September, they're there and, and, and you can, you can really, you can get on them schooling, uh, you, you can catch them on spinnerbaits, uh, children, crank crankbaits, all kinds of things like that. But like I said, October it's a totally different thing. You got your, your water's turned over. The water was 78 degrees. Oh, they will not, it's 72, you know, so you can look at it and tell It looks kind of like, you know, the the tainted water that you see in Florida. It's just dark looking. I think that plays with oxygen a little bit, and it really scatters the fish around. And then when you got cold fronts come in, uh, those shad that are up there in the shallow water, and you were seeing just big black blobs of shad up there in two, three, four feet of water, that cold front passes through, they pull back out, you know, out deeper. Not all of them, but probably 85% of them pulled back out. I know they did on, on the three or four places where I would catch them. It's just like they just disappeared. I mean, you can take your forward facing and sonar and flash it around all over, and there's just not any shad up there. You turn around and to the middle of the pocket out there, and you start seeing them out there. The ones I've been catching, that's what I've been doing. I just see the fish out there, and... I'm in mean, the shad out there and, and you get out there. I try to stay at least, you know, 80 feet from them and cast my bait into the shad and just let it fall through the shad. And, um, mostly use when I do that. I'm, I, I've been using a jigging spoon a lot because they're moving so much, you know, we at 72 degrees. It, that's still a good, a good, um, uh, temperature for their body to be active. And so the, the shad are moving a lot and the bass are moving a lot following them. So it's just hard to keep up with them. And sure. when I do see them on my forward facing the sonar, I've only got maybe five seconds to make a cast and get it in there where it comes right through those shad and then pump it a couple of times. Because if you don't, they've moved on over, you know, and you got to really try and make another cast to them. And so you got to get real accurate with that cast and, Gotta get your stuff set up where you can see your bait at 80 feet and see it go down into the bait. And um, but yeah, and and, and, you know, starting to cover more water, uh, looking in more areas, you know, um, and throwing baits that you can cover water with. A spinner bait is another good thing when you see those the shad out there on that forward facing sonar. If that shad. If there's a curve in them, they're like in a sea, there's pretty much always a, a predator fish, a bass, in 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 that sea. And that's why they're curved like that. You Most time when they're curved, it, you, you can catch one, a, a fish out of it because he's sitting in that, that curved part of it right there. And the jigging spoon and the spinnerbait has been... The two best things, because I can make a quick cast and get it down there to them before they they move on out of the way. You know
0: that that's interesting. The to say that you can see that in a school of bait, and I've I guess I've seen it too, kind of in a in shallow water sight fishing. Right, you'll you'll see. It could be bluegill or it could be a school of shiners or something, but you'll have a bass kind of move up in there and he'll want to hang out where they're hanging out for whatever reason. And they kind of, everybody forms a perimeter around him. Don't nobody want to be in strike distance. You know, it's interesting to, to say you can see that on sonar. And then it's interesting too, to hear about you using sonar to, to kind of look out there a little bit further. 80 feet is I think a little, little further than what I had in in my head that people were, were looking out there with how, how far can you see, you know, something like, like you talk about a school of bait, what, what's the range on those forward facing sonars? I guess thinking about it, you know, like they make, you know, sonar offshore, you may be looking down to, you know, I, I know on my sonar, I can see down in a hundred feet of water. I can get out on a hole in the river and I can see stuff, you know, in the bottom of, of a hole or, or down in a channel. What, what's kind of the effective range on that forward-facing sonar if you're using it to try to scan? If you've got scattered fish and, and you know, you're know you not keyed into something that you know is there, like structure or something like that, how far can you search with forward-facing sonar? 99% of the time I keep it on 100 feet.
2: By the time I see them and kill a cast to them, they're somewhere between 100 and, and 80 feet. Uh, and that's just called, like I said, the water temperature is at a at a – degree where they're still active and they're moving a lot right now, as the water gets colder they'll get slower you know yeah the hundred 100 feet is, you pretty much don't want to go over a hundred feet uh, and that's going to change a little bit like the shallow if you get in shallower than 15 foot you need to back it down to 65 feet if you get into less than 10 feet of water you need to get back it down to 40 because if you know, it's it's just not going to give a good reading, and and it's going to mess up the transition of what it's showing and how it's get how fast it's getting back to your sonar, and and, and then you ha- you'll have to back down on your sensitivity, to the gain. You know, you you back down on it too because everything's bouncing back so fast. You know, it makes clutter. Sure. So you you know, there's not one perfect setting for that unless you know unless you're staying in 20, 25 feet or somewhere, 18 feet, somewhere around in there, you you can pretty much set it and pretty much swing it around. You can swing it around up into five, six, seven feet and still see up in there, but uh, not as good as when you turn it back and it's reaching out like it's supposed to, you know. Because if if you're sitting in 20 feet and you're swinging back towards the bank, well, the, the bottom is going up. And that sonar is trying to go out and down. You can you can see, but you have you kind of have to do some adjustments to the fishing spot that you're on throughout the day. Uh, I, I usually don't have to mess with it much unless I get less than 15 feet. I have to bounce it in a little bit and turn my my uh, sensitivity down just a little bit. Uh, other than that, you can you can keep it uh, about 65 on your gain and. Around a hundred feet, hundred feet on your distance. I got you. And you got you got to have good voltage going to that unit. The only thing it's hooked to is my Garmin. I mean, I have not so well, my black box and my, my unit is the only thing that's running to that that lithium battery. And it's it's up front in my rod locker, so I didn't have to splice anything. I didn't have to add on. I, you know, it just comes straight from that unit. Straight to the battery, which is the way you want. So I'm running 13.7 volts, is what my unit is showing all day, and that's that's when you're going to get that good picture. You know, it's 13, and that, they make another one that's 16 volts. If I'd saw it before I bought that one, I would have bought, I would have bought the 16 volts because it you can it'll hold up, you know, to around 18 volts on those the Garmin will. And the and the more voltage you got, the better the the picture is going to be on
0: those things. Really, that's interesting. That's not something I knew. I guess I always just ran my which all I have is down scanning, and and, uh, I've always just ran it at twelve volts. Is that is that going to be true for other sonar as well, or is that mainly just something that's important with forward facing units?
2: Very much with forward. Any unit's got you know when you're running forward facing forward facing sonar, it takes a lot of volts to get that uh, real good crisp. Clear pitcher. All your other units, you know, 12 boats, 12.7, 12.6, they're all fine on those, you know. But these, I'm telling you, these days you need to just turn that thing off and just go, a like lot right now, i done it the other day. I just, I just, you know, I was chasing them fish around, those balls of shad around, casting, and trying to get my bait in front of those fish and I finally, I, I just turned it off and I went fishing shallow and I, I came up on a little three or four little rocks up there, and I throw my spook up there and chunked it about twice, and, you know, a four-and-a-half pounder comes up and just eats it, and, you know, so the fall has a lot of things going on. There's, especially when your lake gets to turning over and it, it turns dark like that, so you know the oxygen is not as good, and, and you, so you'll have some fish chasing the shad around, and you'll have some fish uh, that are it's just going to be a shallow you just gotta pick that pattern out that you want to run you know um you know there was a boy running a pattern a uh, friend of mine I met him two days ago out there and he had caught a couple of days before he was catching them on the points with a spinnerbait and when I met up with him he said man he said I ain't caught but one fish today two days ago I was killing them, just going from one rocky point to the next rocky point, throwing my spare bait. But he said, they totally changed, you know, Uh, and that's kind of the way it is in the fall. You know?
0: It's funny to hear you talk about it. So you kind of run into the same thing, in in my experience, as as a deer hunter with the rut. Like a lot of people get excited about spring fishing and and fall fishing, and a lot of deer hunters get really excited about the rut, right? Because you see a pickup in activity, but it can be kind of frustrating in a different way, because the pattern just changes. Like there's so much activity that all the rhyme and reason just kind of goes out the window. and And yeah, there's a lot going on, but it can be hard, like you said, you can be in them, and then the very next day you'd be right back out of them. Like it's hard to find mm-hmm. something consistent day in day out versus like, say, you know, like you get a on, on bass fishing, you'll get a consistent summer pattern or in deer hunting, you know, early season. Uh, you know deer are consistently just moving between bedding and food bedding and food every day you've been watching them deer on on a trail camera or, or you've been watching them you know scoping out the back of a field with a pair of binoculars and they're just they run like clockwork and it gives you a really warm fuzzy feeling that that you know what's happening you know and and then when it changes it can it can kind of mess with your head a little bit tell me just mentally what what are your best tips if if there's an angler out there who's kind of watching everything you know all the best laid plans are kind of falling to pieces what's your best tip for how to keep your head in the game and stick with it and figure out that pattern
2: just go back to the basis basics of bass fishing if you're fishing around rock and wood you're you're around fish i learned that years ago with those aqua views dropping that camera you drop it down there and there's fish on – I mean, even the, using the forward-facing sonar, you shine that thing over on a brush pile right now, and it's just lit up with brim and crappy, you know. But, yeah, just just go back to the basics of like flipping blowdowns and fishing. I, I, last weekend, there was a tournament, and I didn't fish it, but I I almost did. And I, I kind of had in my I, – since I caught that one – Good one off of the that little rock pile there with the spook. I, I I just about bet you I could have won that tournament, but I would have had to move around a lot and, fi- and fish, you know, uh, boat ramps and things like that. Just hit a lot of places. That's that's kind of going back to the basics of fishing, you know, just just moving around a lot. And uh, some of them call it junk fishing, you know, you just run around fishing any piece of little junk that you see, you know
0: sure i think there's definitely something to that i think that's a good tip anytime anytime you get confused you know don't sometimes it can be easy to to overthink it you know you get a little bit too much in your own head but yeah going going back to the basics you know where where there's cover there'll be fish or you know where there's cover there'll be deer you know that's a i think that's a really good tip so maybe that'll help somebody out this weekend on the water as uh stuff starts changing but uh Ken, if, if people want to get a hold of you, where's a, uh, where's a good place to reach out to yet, sir? Ken Beard and
2: Fishing on Facebook, and you uh, can messenger me there. Uh, you can go on kenbeardenfishing.com and, and uh, send me an email through there. That's the way most people get a hold of me is through kenbeardenfishing.com and, and send an email. Of course, what I do, I still now I do veterans. I took two veterans out yesterday. And we don't charge to take the veterans. Uh, they get to come and go fishing for free. But, and we struggled catching the town to find some bass. And, they were, you know, one of them had really bad knees. He couldn't get up and down real good, so I knew it wasn't going to be a bunch of moving around. We was going to have to get somewhere and just fish. And um, we stopped on two places, and it was such a problem getting him up and down from the seat to the fishing chair that I had found with my forward face sonar, I found a tree out in the standing timber in the deep stuff. There's a hump, and then off, I, I saw some fish blow up on that hump last week. And I went over there to see if I could call them up with my spook. And uh, I was looking around with my face, my forward face sonar, and there was a tree. And it's, it's always something different. Like you had all this standing timber out there. But you had one tree that was leaning at a, you know, 45-degree angle. And that thing was just covered with brim and crappy and everything. So I took them over there. We went over, over that tree, and uh, I put them a little half-ounce jigging spoon on. I said, I said and we, it was in like 28 feet of water. And I, I said, just open your bale and count to 15 and flip your bale back floats. Just move your spoon up and down. Every once in a while, just hold it and hold it and hold it, and then move it up and down and hold it. And, hold it. and uh, they caught thirteen crappie. The crappie kind of got slow, and I told him, "I said, open your bail up, and let it go all the way to the bottom, and then make about two turns and just hold it." And next thing you know, they caught like six catfish. Because when these fish eat your bass, your hybrids, your stripers, your crappie. When when they eat, uh, they, they injure bait fish and stuff, and so they call the bomb. And that that I learned this years ago on the Coosa River, you know, and the Tennessee River. When I lived up there, you could be catching bass off a spot, and all of a sudden you go catching drum, at, up on the Tennessee River, and then on the Coosa River, we you know you catch catfish and drum. But what they were doing, they were coming out cleaning up the area where they, you know, the shad that had gotten injured. And, Fell to the bottom and stuff like that. So they end up having a good day, but you can go on uh, VFOhome.org and sign up as a veteran. And uh, we just had our fall event on Lake Widow we and like, 20 veterans come and we had some food and trophies and draw prizes. We had a really great time. And uh, we'll be doing Lake Gunnersville the first weekend in April uh, at a Goose Pond. And then at the end of April, we'll be doing here on West Point this next coming year. So if you're a veteran and you like to fish, um, go on VFO, which stands for Veteran Fishing Organization, VFOHome.org, and you can sign up for a fishing trip on there. And uh, right now, I've got about 60 signed up. And <laughs> so, you know, if you want to sponsor a veteran, that's that's my biggest need. Getting the veterans is not that not a problem. There's tons of veterans that need to get out, and they want to get out. It's just having keeping the money coming in to be able to take these veterans out. You know, a lot of them have issues, uh, whether it be physical or mental or whatever. But and they need to get out in the outdoors and just reset their mind. And I need companies, I need businesses to get behind us, and uh, so we can pay our bills every month. And I don't, I'm not stressed out all the time worrying about, you know, trying to um how i'm gonna get these 60 guys out on the water
0: absolutely yeah no that's that's a great cause and and definitely you know if there's any veterans out there listening in that want to go or i know that we have a lot of uh you know a lot of business owners that listen in so that's definitely a good cause to go ahead and and get behind support our veterans because yeah i can uh i've I've got a lot of friends who are veterans and they rely heavily you know on that on that time out there in the woods or on the water to like you said kind of kind of You know, clear their minds and and get right and and relieve some of that stress. So that's definitely, definitely hugely important. If you, you know, if anybody does, you know, if they they want to give
2: and but they're worried about where their money is going to go, <laughs> you just if they get in touch with me, I'll come and I'll sit down and I'll show you our books. I'll show you exactly where every penny is spent. Uh, I'm not I'm not gaining anything from this. I use my own vehicle for this, my own boat for this, and uh, it's uh for you know, when you go and volunteer at a church and I'll talk about this, you go and volunteer at a church or you know, Salvation Army or something, you know, for a day, you know, uh this is totally different because this is a it's a three or four day a week thing for me. And sometimes it's five or six days a week when I have veterans Expos and all that stuff I gotta be at. So it it's, it's it becomes a job, you know, but it's a good job. You're helping people and I enjoy it. So appreciate the any, any response we could give
0: absolutely yeah guys if y'all want to book a trip or if y'all want to go in and support a veteran help get them guys out the water y'all uh, y'all definitely go take a second look up ken on his website or on facebook and uh ken i definitely appreciate you being here with us today brother
2: yes sir god bless you y'all have good good fall
0: hey yes sir you as well thank you This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Texas Hunter. Every detail of the Texas Hunter Wrangler hunting blind has been designed for your comfort. Fully carpeted walls and ceiling provides a scent and noise barrier, while sealed windows keep bugs and pests from joining you on the hunt. A solid galvanized steel roof is sure to protect you from the elements and will never leak or rust. The Wrangler is available in the ground model or with a 4-foot or 8-foot tower model available for extra-wide, sturdy stairs. Visit TexasHunter.com to check out their wide variety of premium outdoor products. Built in America since 1954. And by Killer Dock. Today we're going to profile another common form of dock dysfunction. Dirty Dock. Have you ever cleaned up a nice mess of fish and then watched your wife's face in disgust when she sees your dirty dock as a result? It's happened to all of us who are cleaning fish on old, wooden fish cleaning tables that don't slope toward the water. You need dock enhancement. Killer Dock fish cleaning stations are marine-grade aluminum coated with a ceramic finish that makes cleaning your dirty dock a cinch. The scales and slime drain directly into the water, through the legs, or through the slots. You choose the style check out the best fish cleaning stations known to mankind at killerdoc.com all right guys for our last guest today we have andre davis andre how you doing today sir hey i'm well how are you oh man i'm just uh just resting up from all the fishing that i did this this last weekend i know uh, we was both technically on the same watershed uh he was doing the one fly event and i, I hated to miss it i was a little too far north and kind of uh spending time with the wife and the baby couldn't really turn my anniversary into a fishing trip but uh i know i know <laughs> we kind of we we know a lot of the same people and uh you've been in in that kind of community longer than i have but i've been talking over the summer with matthew lewis drew morgan Stephen Rockhart, and your names come up steven actually last week uh, after we got off of, of our segment he, he mentioned your name as a good person to interview and i said well i, I know I, I know he's fishing the one fly tournament so i figured i'd go ahead and give you a call and we was just kind of talking in the warm-up just so our listeners know um, andre davis he is a um let me see he he runs skills and gills which is a nonprofit helping to to take kids and get them introduced in the outdoors Um, he's kind of like myself just an enthusiast in the fly fishing community tries to support the river keepers local conservation native fisheries that sort of a thing and then, uh, if I remember correctly, you're also working with with uh, Fly Fishing International to go ahead and, and become a certified fly casting instructor. Is that right?
3: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That is.
0: There we go. There we go. So, so, so Andre and, and y'all may have seen him if y'all were in the fly fishing community. I know he posts uh, frequently on the Alabama Fly Fishing page. Uh, he's kind of like me. He got a job where he can be flexible and he can sneak away for you know half hour here and there to go do a little bit of fishing. So, and that that's the type of people. I, I won't lie. If you if you're trying to get good at something It helps to have that flexibility in your schedule so that you can go practice that skill day in day out so he's not a guide but he, he catches a lot of fish and I figured he'd be a good guy to give the fishing report and uh, let's jump into it man tell us first and foremost I hate that I missed the one fly event tell give me give me just the the scoop on that
3: yeah I, I really appreciate that because I really feel like they did a, a wonderful job down there you know the the teams put this together it was the very first time I believe the young man's name was Chad Hoffman um, he was certainly a one communicating with us is somebody else that or I know there were more people at the helm, so I don't want to leave them out. You know, uh, that's just the name that I have. But uh, for the first time, they got a tremendous turnout. Um, I mean, I just I can't overstate that enough. And I was telling you a little bit about it, you know, that. What was interesting to me is the people who were there to support the fishermen outnumbered the fishermen themselves. And so as far as being a good steward of the waterway and spreading the word and getting people to really care about the natural resources we have here, boy, they did a great job with that. And I just really want to commend them there. You know, you mentioned Drew, and it's so funny. He had been saying that, you know, he and I both have been Saying, you know, we're in the same community, we talk about the same stuff all the time, and we've never met. And I tell you, I, I pulled in after uh, the sun had gone down on the first night and, and just kind of randomly picked the parking space. And when I was setting up my tent, lo and behold, <laughs> there was Drew as my next-door neighbor. So we got the chance to meet, to talk, and um, I'm really appreciative of that. This community just keeps on growing, and uh, we're seeing more and more events, and I, I love the focus of the events. They're a terrible amount of fun. They're just incredibly good times, um, but they're also focused on actually taking care of each other and then having each other come together to take care of our natural resources. Um, and I can't say enough good about that and how happy I am to be able to, to do my part to be a part of that uh, where I can. And so kudos to all of them. The event itself, well put together, well communicated. Um, you know, you were saying you got to get out on Saturday, but you know those conditions were a little bit tough. Uh, there's a lot of wind, uh, we had our first, um, you know, real cold night, you know, and so those fish, had changed their behavior a little bit, certainly going to have an effect on their metabolism. Um, you know, and definitely with, with that, and then the precedence of the really low water, um, it made for some interesting fishing down there.
0: Your experience exactly mirrors mine because, uh, the, the first struggle was, was finding some water to fish in. And then the second struggle was casting in the wind. And then the, the third struggle was just finding uh, fish that weren't scared of your fly. So it was, a, yep. it was an interesting morning there when that front moved in.
3: Yeah, that's it. And, you know, um, one of the things about doing the Coosa, they set the one fly event up to be the middle and lower. Right. And so where I'm at, you know, up here in Birmingham, I've fished the Coosa uh, water fairly often, but I'm up here on the 280 corridor and 280 and North. So the waters that I know were not the waters for the competition, you know, and I, at first I was like, oh. I'm gonna go down there and get whooped. <laughs> and I didn't particularly care because that's not the main thing I was there for. Uh, but I, I I, knew I was gonna get whooped. And, uh, you know, so I went down there knowing that I was going to get the chance, though, because of not knowing those waters to explore. And man, that was a lot of fun, you know, so getting into waterways that are a little bit farther away from home and getting to explore those. Uh, I don't hold a candle to what you're out there doing hitting all the counties like that. Uh, that is really, really cool to me. Uh, I travel a lot for work. So I I understand you being a road warrior doing that and what that takes <laughs> and then to be able to, to learn each of those waterways as you go. And most all of your fishing outings are a first time deal. There's something to be said for that. And uh, that's usually my experience, too. So I can really, really relate to that. I appreciate what you're doing there. And Kusa gave everybody a chance. I say everybody, a lot of people, a lot of folks I spoke to, they didn't know the waters down there so well either. Um, which means they got the joy of getting to explore. You know what I'll say about that, the, the actual fishing part to kind of move into that for just one fly in general, you know, Friday, uh, I got a chance to do a, a half day at work and, you know, go down and kind of scout it out. And I aimed for a little bit bigger waterways. And I figured, okay, while I'm driving, scooting around through there on some of the county roads and state park roads and that kind of thing, of course, I'll peek out the window and see what's in the water in the creeks. And, um, I had to correct myself there because when I looked in the creeks, the thing that wasn't there was the water. Uh, a lot of it's all dried up right now. Happy to say, at least up here in Birmingham, we're getting some rain today, uh, right now, as a matter of fact. And so that will help a lot. If we can get some good, steady rain for a couple to several days, that'll be good. You know, if we get some really heavy rain and it kind of blows out and then, you know, drains out and it won't, it'll help. But um, what we really need is just some good, steady rain, refill these waterways, um, get these fish to where they can move up and downstream get them some fresh food, reoxidize the water, right, um, et cetera. And I think fishing is still really hot right now because on Friday when I did get to some bigger bodies of water, I had kind of, you know what we all do, go on to Google, drop a little dot on some uh, bridge crossings and that kind of thing to go and try out. When I got to the bigger water, I had to hike in some. It, it was even a little bit, not not anything like Saturday, but a little bit windy on Friday. And I knew it was going to be windy on Saturday. So, looking for directions, especially to get down in canyons, for one thing, and then get directions in the river where it's going to be bending uh, perpendicular to the the wind flow, right? Um, So, I could get a little bit of calm water here and there to try to cast. And that was super-duper important because, for me, in those conditions, one thing I'll say in general about fishing right now, this time of year, you know, next week, we got temps that are about to start fluctuating again. Um, We're going to start seeing, um, you know, some of the highs in the mid to low 60s next week. We got lows overnight that are going to be down in the 40s again, and then it's going to get back up and start getting warm. So, uh, you know, welcome to to Alabama. But um, it messes with that the behavior of the fish, especially without any new, you know, any real rain to get a bit better static temperature on that waterway. And so... Really, the big deal was I planned to go out there with a, a three-way or even lighter um, to fish out there because kind of like you were saying, they were real spooky. A lot of the water, um, a lot of the creeks, when you found water, it was kind of a pool and your run was a trickle, if not completely dried up, and then another isolated pool. And all those fish have been stuck in those pools for however long, so they're they're real spooky, you know, because the birds and everything else have been messing with them, stuck in that pool, uh, just like I was out there to go and try to hook them. And so they're very weary. So you want light line, you want precise um, and delicate cast out there Was a really big deal. And then you don't want to touch that bug. Um, you just can't touch it. On Friday in the evening, um, I didn't get to the trailhead until 2. Uh, I was more or less fishing from 2 p.m. until 6 p.m. And, um, it, and the action was, was on fire. It, it really was. And I was thinking, man, I, I might have a chance. You know, with this dog on thing, the small creeks are kind of what I do and it keeps me off the big water where the wind's going to be. I, I might have a chance here. And, um, I, I'll tell you what, it, it still was very contingent though. I wasn't just out there just flinging flies carefree. You know, you wanted to size down lighter flies. I was predominantly fishing top water. As a matter of fact, I had to make myself stop fishing top water and try out other, other flies cause I needed to have some options for the next day. Right. And, uh, but they were just lighting it up, even on top water. Um, you're going to find creeks, especially with the real slow water, they're going to be chock full of leaves. Um, so that may help with your fly decision as well. If you need something to kind of punch through them, top water is going to be hard for the fish to see or differentiate from the leaf litter and sticks, you know, all that. But I'll tell you, again, we were uh, just lighting it up so much so that I was just kind of walking through some holes and kind of keeping it moving. Cause I did not want to hook everything I planned on coming back the next day and didn't want to burn up the holes and wear them fish out like that. It, you know, and I don't, I don't overstate that as a point of pride. I mean, th- you're going to understand the difference here. When I say how Saturday went, I, I did all that, got back to camp, got to meet Drew. Still uh, happy about that. Uh, if you're listening Drew, it's great to be able to meet you. But Saturday morning I left out at quarter after four, got to the trailhead, hiked in in the dark, you know, all of this. And um, I knew that top water was working. So I'd made the decision. I was going to use a pink Sam's one
0: bug. Uh, Kevin. Spoken away, great dude. Mr. Blevins is uh, an honor to know. Yeah, we actually had Wade on the show a while back talking about the uh, the one bug, and he definitely his, – his story about winning and then getting disqualified from a tournament, uh, fly fishing it, was an interesting story. So he's a real – Wade's a real cool guy.
3: He really is.
0: And I got to learn that from him at the Cahaba uh, event, actually, a couple years ago,
3: you know, a madman tying him ever since. And um, so I, I picked the pink one in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month threw it out there and it was uh between so the tournament started at 7 yet until 2 p.m lines in at 7 lines out at 2 and i'll tell you i threw that joker around i did gosh i think it was i wrote it down on my pad here i did 75.2 miles of driving five different creeks (laughs) and it was about a quarter till noon before i caught uh, a first well, black bass. I had caught a whole lot of fish. It was 52 on the day total. And I placed fifth in the tournament ultimately, but it wasn't until, you know, the last hour, beg pardon, two hours and a little bit of change that uh, I actually was catching tournament fish, uh, which were spots, Alabama bass and red eye. And so you're, you're going to want to let the, and I think, you know, the common tie there is from the day before to the tournament day was one, you got to let the temperature come up a little bit. Um, you're going to see that bug activity come, especially with the 40 degree night like we had you really got to, it's really an evening bite right now. You know, it, and believe it or not, getting that sun directly overhead, I know it's one of the big fishing no-nos, um, but particularly in these little creeks, get that sun directly overhead, let it get hot, let it warm that water up and those pools up and get some bugs from some commotion. It's going to help hide your cast a little bit, for one thing, um, but it's obviously going to get the fish looking up. And probably the number one thing I notice that's most important is it's going to give you some color contrast. You really want that that shade line so that, you know, r- right out there in the open where the sun is hot on the water, especially any big, flat, stone-bottom creeks, it's going to hold that heat and warm up, but it's when you actually throw at the shade line that you're going to start catching your fish, and I would throw it, not think big browns, right, like uh, at high water, throw it at the bank. When I say at the bank, I don't mean nearby, I don't mean a foot away, I mean into the grass or onto the stump or whatever it is to lay down over there on dry ground and then pull it into the water, and then don't touch it. My minimum number is eight, Count to eight, leave it sit there and let everything have a chance to look at it. Get, get some good tight uh, line control with your line hand and then just barely twitch it if you're fishing topwater. If you're gonna go subsurface, things like micro mini meat whistles, you know, um, bale's crawl um, did very well. You know, we did a lot of other fishing too because there was also uh, the crappiest fish as in like uh, a crappy right <laughs> or if you're from up north the crappie but um you know so you could have a bycatch fish as well so then i started throwing everything i could to, to try to get a bycatch submission i ended up catching a spider by the way was my bycatch um <laughs> i'll send you that photo but i kid you not throwing that kind of mid buoyancy uh, fly like that and then stripping it back and just pulsing it and it differs you know that every tree was going to differ every waterway i went to it differed you just got to find out what they like but Flow is definitely the game. They want to look at it. They're going to come up and sniff it. They're going to walk, you know, swim away from it. And then they're going to come back and eat. So don't change your retrieve. Don't stop your retrieve. But give them plenty of time. If it's top water let it float. Give it at least 10 seconds. Nothing's fast right now. So, you know, when you have a little bit better water flow, you give it too long and your fly is downstream behind you. You know, in this right now, you don't have to worry about that at all. Most everywhere I was at, my fly wasn't hardly going anywhere. So let them sniff it and they're going to come back and eat
0: it. Absolutely. It makes me feel better because I'm still very new to the whole fly fishing thing, especially up north in the rocky streams doing the red eye thing. And, uh, it makes me feel better that you've been doing it for a lot longer and your experience mirrors mine. So super slow fishing, um, fighting to get a, you know, the old chartreuse tried and true stands out a little less better when there's all them yellow leaves sitting on the surface of the water. And, uh, I noticed that like, yep. once the sun come up, I ended up hiking about a half mile in the, the canyon that I was in to get to a section where the sun could could kind of beat down. It was the first place, the canyon that got sun, and I found a warm stretch of pool that I caught most of my fish in, like you were saying, right up next to the bank. That's it. And, and I yep. missed some fish and caught some fish because I'd cast that lure out there. And and then get a get a work text on my phone and you'd be sitting there checking work emails <laughs> trying to get something ironed out and about that time you'd hear something splash and i I had a little tin car rod, so luckily it's just kind of reflex. Like I could be sitting at my phone and you would just hear that splash and, and be like, oh, oh, that set the hook, set the hook. And uh that's the way it went. I wasn't yep. limited to just one fly. So I I did I did a little bit better in the early morning because cause I wasn't restrained to, to just a top water fly. I caught some on a woolly booger and uh, caught a few on nymphs um caught some sunfish and caught some red eye bass on nymphs i'd never caught a red eye on a nymph before that was new um had a little bit of luck with a with a spider pattern and uh yeah but then and then you know the top water bite did eventually it got warm enough that you could catch them but it was not uh it was not what i was used to the last time i had a really good red eye trip was back in the summer fishing up in talladega national forest and i got on a stretch that was just magical every rock had a bass on it like every everywhere like you you could not cast and not catch fish it would have it would have been almost impossible to put a popper in the water and not hook fish and uh it kind of gave me a false sense of confidence you know and and then you get out there and <laughs> instead of them you know that last trip in the summer you'd flick it one two three next rock you know flick it one two three and you were going to get hit as soon as it hit the water um then you could watch fish come five ten feet away you'd watch them make a beeline to it and then this this one you would sit there and you would throw it you may see a fish and you throw it and he'd just look at it you were looking at him and he's looking at your fly and you're like, yeah, I don't think this is going to work. And then he'd slowly start coming up and he'd look at it and you'd be like, yeah. <laughs> and in 15 seconds he'd, he'd hit it, you know, sip it like a trout. He wouldn't do the thing that they were doing in the summer where they'd come all the way up out the water to hit it. But, uh, it's, it's good to hear that you found success. So I think you said you come in fifth overall is what you said. Yep. So out of curiosity, what was, what was the, uh, who, who was number one, and how many fish did they catch, and what was the magic fly? What was their one fly, if you know?
3: I don't. Uh, I know the count was 14. I think second was 11. I think it was a tie for third at 10. This is off of memory, so if I'm wrong, y'all who are in first, second, and third, please don't be too bad and fourth, but don't be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I, believe, uh, I believe it was a tie at 10, which bumped me down because I had nine, so I got fifth place. So none of the numbers were super big. You know, a lot of people were saying, you know, campfire talks that we thought, you know, somebody's going to jump in one of these little creeks, which, you know, up here around home. And like you say, in the heat of summer, this could have very easily been true. You know, somebody, you know, everybody was saying someone's going to jump in a little creek that they know well. They got a honey hole and they're going to tear 20, 30 fish out, you know, um, and, and just take this thing. And um, boy, you know, but with the low water, with the cold snap, with the late sun, you know doing well to be down in the canyon to get away from the wind it just wasn't like that um you know all the numbers everybody who placed in the top five were, were pretty close a lot closer than not figured it was going to be
0: yeah that that sounds like a much closer i would have figured it would have been the same thing there's so much yeah i've, I've fished a little bit in that area and and I, I can't say too much about about it or uh i'd have people you know knocking at my door but uh I've I've been privy to some of those <laughs> yeah. little honey holes that you have up in that area, and uh, over the course of the summer, you were exactly right. It was it was the type of thing where you just showed up, and you know you 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 could have pulled twenty, thirty fish out of out of the same hundred yard stretch of water on a creek somewhere. So, but no, it sounds sounds like y'all had an awesome time, and and it sounds like you did pretty good. You you outfished me, um, and you, and you did it with one fly. I did. I don't think that morning that I fished. <laughs> I don't think I caught nine fish and, and I definitely threw more than one pattern at them trying to make something happen. So sounds sounds like a good time and, and it sounds like you give some good advice, you know, trying to, it's, it's real different. It's something that uh we don't talk about a whole lot on the show. We, we talk a lot more about stuff going on on the bigger lakes and stuff like that, but the patterns, you know, how weather changes affect those real small creeks it's different you know there's there's still patterns in that in that small water there's there's definitely seasonal variations in what fish are doing so it's always interesting to talk with somebody who fishes more of those small waters we've had some fly fishermen and some some guys that work the kayak tournament circuits and stuff like that it's always a good time talking so uh I appreciate you being on this week and uh we'll have to circle back. And if and if I know you spend a lot of time on the road, so if you make it down to South Alabama, give me a shout and we'll see if we can't make a, a trip happen. I got I got a couple places down here. We don't have red-eye bass, but uh I put Matthew Lewis on some chain pickerel a while back. And I don't know if you've messed with them a lot, but they're a lot of fun on the fly.
3: Oh yeah, fantastic. Well, hey, insane. You come up here to Birmingham, you run anywhere around this area and you let me know. We'll jump in some creeks. Uh, particularly if it's anywhere from May to beginning of September, you're gonna have that. Can't set your fly down to recast the experience.
0: <laughs> there we go. That's what I'm talking about. Well, I, I enjoyed talking with you today and uh, thank you for donating your time to the show, sir. My pleasure. It's great to speak with you. Thanks so much, Nick. Absolutely. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Baker Metal Works and Dixie Supply. Dixie Supply and Baker Metal Works offer numerous items to help get your project done right the first time. They carry a variety of different panel profiles and your choice of colors and gauges with all the matching trim and accessories. They also offer a full line of hardware items and post frame building design. Their friendly and knowledgeable sales representatives are always willing to help answer any questions or concerns you may have. Contact them with any questions or to get a free estimate today. Dixie Supply and Baker Metal Works, your metal roofing headquarters. Also brought to you by. Fish bites. Whether you're hitting the sand with set rigs using traditional scent strips for pompano or fishing the flats and marshes for speckled trout, redfish, and flounder, Fish Bites has something for you. Family owned and operated in St. Augustine, Florida, they pride themselves on making reliably consistent fishing products for anglers of all ages all around the world. Fish Bites baits and lures are made with pride in the Sunshine State here in USA. Check out the full line of scented saltwater and freshwater baits at fishbites.com. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up this week's show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening. If you'd like for us to email you the podcast, just text FISHING to 314-665-1767. Again, just text the word FISHING to 314-665-1767. Subscribe to our email list, and we'll send you the new show each week. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Texas Hunter. Since 1954, Texas Hunter Products has delivered the finest quality fish and game feeders and hunting blinds in the industry. To learn more, visit texashunter.com. Also brought to you by Hayabusa. Hayabusa Fishing, extremely well known for their premium sabiki rigs, but also don't forget their full line of saltwater hooks and jigs as well as freshwater bass hooks. See what you've been missing at hayabusafishing.com and by Mallard Bay. Book your next guided hunting or fishing trip with thoroughly vetted guides or charters. Plan trips, buy gear, go experience, mallardbay.com. And brought to you by Fish Bites. Whether you're hitting the sand with set rigs or fishing the flats and marshes for speckled trout, redfish and flounder, Fish Bites has something for you. Check out the full line of scented saltwater and freshwater baits at fishbites.com. Also brought to you by Bucks Island bucks island has been in business since 1948 for all of your new and used boat needs as well as motor sales and service and now they have a pro level tackle store boat and motor trade-ins are welcome visit them online at bucksisland.com or give them a call at 256-442-2588 and by hilton's real-time navigator bringing you the highest quality online satellite fishing charts since 2004 Your source for sea temps, alimetry, currents, and watercolor at hiltonsoffshore.com.